0: there is this continuing um this this gradual increase in desire to be individual i mean individuality is huge among i think our generation especially um and i think that a really unfortunate byproduct of that is that less people in my generation are attending church
1: this is a podcast called walk talk listen listen episode of the podcast walk talk listen and uh, it's part of the special series that we do um on what makes you t- you stick actually and and where we try to find out yeah you know what makes you you know get out of bed in the morning and and um what do you aspire to why did you are you studying what you you study and the reason that uh, we do that this podcast is to uh you know, to share with NGOs like ours, um, uh, you know, what what drives young people. And I think that's really something that a lot of organizations like mine are are interested in um, because they, you know, especially the older ones don't necessarily have figured that out. So hopefully that will be helpful for them. But for my organization, it's also helpful because we are working on a couple of strategies in, in how to really connect better um you know with students and and the younger generation so yeah maybe we can go around Uh, Bridget would like to start first um you know just you know say your name and uh, where you're based and um, then we go to the to the next
2: yeah hi my name is Bridget Nelson and I am based out of DC for the most part so DC metro area is what I'll say.
1: Okay, and what do you study or are you working?
2: Yeah, so I work at the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities and I graduated in 2022 with a degree in community development from Indiana Wesleyan University.
3: Hi, my name is Josh Kaposinski. I'm currently living in Fairfax, Virginia, and I also work at the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities as a communications fellow um, I graduated from Grove City College earlier this year with a degree in English. And yes, yeah, at least in D.C. for the next like nine months.
0: OK, Jonathan. Uh, my name is Jonathan Shimp. Um, I am also working for the CCCU. I'm their government relations fellow, um, and I am uh, originally from the Philadelphia area, but currently living in Potomac, Maryland. And I graduated from Covenant College in May of this year with a degree in sociology.
1: Okay, you're all all done. So we have one who's not done yet, Diana.
4: (laughs) Yeah, hi, uh, I'm Diana. I work with Maurice at uh, CWS. I work in the Innovation Hub as the Community Engagement Manager. Um, I've been in this role for about eight, nine years now. And I also am, well, I guess you guys aren't getting your degrees also, but I'm in my last semester right now. Getting my master's, Um, I'm based in New York City, so I'm getting my degree there in international relations. Um, But funny enough, right now I am currently in Bethesda, so we're uh, (laughs) we're all neighbors.
5: Yeah. So
1: I don't know who would like to start, but my my first question uh, for you is, yeah, what what makes you tick? What drives you in life? What makes it that you get out of bed in the morning, and you know, start your day? Who would like to kick this off?
0: Um, I mean, I can I can start and kind of just jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jonathan, that, just for the, yeah. for the listeners. Yeah, <laughs> I think that um, for me, I don't know. I don't think about it so much as like what makes me get out of bed in the morning. I mean, there's, I guess, like being very literal here, what makes me get out of bed in the morning are the responsibilities that I have. But I think that those responsibilities were in one capacity or another, like I decided for myself. So I decided these are responsibilities that I would have that would, you know, get me out of bed in the morning. So whether that's my job, um, you know, I took this position because I was interested in the work that I was doing or I chose a school um, that I was passionate about their mission. I was passionate about what I was studying. Um, And so I guess in a more in a sense that's a little bit more specific to me, I guess, um, the kind of common denominator in both of those examples is um, a focus on the gifts that I have that I can use to help other people, um, whether that's in a very tangible way, um, such as volunteering, for instance, or uh, whether it is learning how to utilize gifts that I have um, or skill sets that I've acquired and, and building on them to, to learn how to better help other people with them.
1: And, and Jonathan, if, if we, if I piggyback a little bit on helping others, is that some, you know, when did that start? Is it something that, you know, uh, your caretakers, um, you know? educated you with gave gave that to you or you know was was there a a moment in your life where you realized you know this is why this is what I would like to do this is important for me
0: yeah I mean I think that I kind of have like a a specific example maybe even a a testimony of sorts Mm -hmm. that kind of answers that question I think Um, I've been involved in the art for my entire life um, and a lot of that world is very very focused on on self and self-image and uh building your gifts and skills to serve yourself to become the most popular to become the most famous to you know to become the best at what you do very much climbing climbing ladders um and being seen and i think my personality i don't i don't know i just didn't lend itself to that it was it was kind of exhausting after a while and you know I was confident in what I was able to do and I was pushed by a lot of people to to continue moving forward to be recognized for what I was what I was doing and what I was able to do but um, it just became exhausting for me and I just I think just in experiences that I had in high school where I was given the opportunity to work with people in the arts who were younger than me um, and to teach them That was actually, I think, a turning point for me in recognizing that it was actually a lot more uh, rewarding for me, I think, to use my gifts in a way that was was helping other people um, and and teaching them, you know, kind of creating this ecosystem of sorts of here here are things that I've learned. Let me pour into you and teach you how to use these gifts that you have. Um, And yeah, it also, I mean, it takes a lot of the pressure off of, if I'm not, if I'm not the best, I'm nothing, um, which is a lot of what, what I think the arts world can be like sometimes, Um, and yeah, like I said, I think that, I think that a lot of it was, was potentially my personality, it could be also the way that I was raised, Um, I mean, especially like a a specific like family example. I mean, my grandmother. She is a a caretaker of of elderly people, and mm-hmm. um, I think that she raised me to be very have a have a heart for taking care of people who are who are in need, um, mm-hmm. and using gifts that she had to do that. And she set a really a really great example for me. Um, and so I think that that kind of planted a seed in me that 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 encouraged me to do, you know take care of people in a similar way just using gifts that i had that were specialized to me
1: okay thank you and just a quick question so if you talk about the arts is that music or is that you know drawing uh...
0: um yeah i mean a lot of performing arts so yeah music um acting things like that um but yeah i mean there's there's room and space for visual arts there as well
5: Hmm. okay and bridget what about you what makes you tick?
2: Yeah, I think just listening to Jonathan, I was just reflecting, like, even on my own background and my own upbringing a little bit and just, like, my lived experience. Um, I think what gets me up in the morning, I mean, like Jonathan said, is responsibility. Um, just because, like, there are things, like, in my day and in my week that are just, like, naturally programmed that I have to show up for and that I need to do well. But I think like a greater undertone to that is like this sense of taking care of my community and taking care of the people that I encounter like well, like like that, like yeah, as I'm encountering them, as I'm meeting them and talking to them, like being present, being engaged, being thoughtful in what I say, being thoughtful in what 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 that person needs, like in that moment just asking questions um yeah I think that's that's something that gets me up in the morning is I think continuing to build upon like meaningful connection um yeah that's what I would say for me
1: and is that for you something that you have been brought up with you know you did you have examples in your you know family surroundings and people that took care of you
2: yeah, I think just the community that the culture I was brought up brought up in. I'm half Filipino. Mm-hmm. And so like a huge part of Filipino culture is family and community and celebration and a lot of it's like encouragement. And so I think just being brought up in that culture was a, kind of already programmed in me from a young age. But then as I've just gotten older and I've just and, and like as my family, um, they're not Christians, but like I'm a Christian. Um, And seeing, like, the value of Christian community and how intentional it is and, like, how important it is in terms of the formation of the person. I think that just kind of built upon, like, more of the purpose-driven life of meaningful connection and community. Okay.
5: Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Josh? Josh?
3: Yeah, for me, I always think about, um, like just doing the work that's before me, um, in a faithful manner. Um, and that always gets me out of bed because I think sometimes at least our generation, we've lost a little bit of that sense of like ordinary faithfulness and whatever our callings are. I think that's, you know, it's a helpful thing because not all of our lives necessarily look like spectacular or extraordinary. We're often doing like, the same things a lot each day and sometimes in that we can feel like we're not really going anywhere but uh, I tend to think of like kind of trying to lean into that part of life and not letting the like repetitiveness of it rob me of the joy that I can get in my work and doing it faithfully uh, especially as a part of my faith you know working for the Lord and trying to follow Jesus in that manner Um, because yeah there's a lot going on in the world and constantly getting headlines, but I think that can get overwhelming at times. So for me, just trying to lean into the spaces that I'm in, um, well, so.
1: And, and if I listen to the three of you, uh, you know, closely, um, your faith is very important within that, right? And, and but it's, you know, maybe you had different journeys there. Um, I would like to to do a follow up question with you, Bridget, is that because you mentioned that you, your family was not religious, but you were, which is kind of interesting because the Philippines is known to be very, uh, you know, faith is very important, at least my experience in, in traveling to, uh, to the Philippines. So, can you tell a little bit on? On how that developed and evolved for you?
2: Yeah, um, you know, I wish I had more time than what we have allotted for this to kind of just go like the full background of my family history and just their walk of faith. Um, but I think in short, um, my my family isn't the majority. Um, religion of Catholicism in the Philippines, which is typically what is associated with the Philippines is um, Catholics. They're kind of in a very different um, sector of religion. That's not really like Christian based, nor is it any major world religion. But um, like in terms of growing up in the States and my experience with faith, uh, my family on my uh, bio dad's side, they're all atheists. And so there's kind of this narrative growing up of we are accepting of all religions and like one, there's no religion that's bad over the other and um, had a lot of different viewpoints growing up um, that God could be like a tree or God could be Buddha or Hindu. Like it doesn't matter, like it's all connected, but um, I, I think it's, it's hard to like fully describe like the moment of, and like that encounter, like that salvation moment, like in my faith with Jesus, um, because that came, just kind of came like later on in my life. Like I'm only 23, but like, like later on in like, my walk of life, um, became a Christian when I was 17. And so that, um, yeah, that I don't think I'm fully answering your question, um, I kind of I don't want to like take up too much time, but I think that um, for me, um, the last like five, almost six years of walking with the Lord has just kind of shown me that there were a lot of really important values that my family instilled in me in terms of the culture. Mm-hmm. But I think that it took on more meaning as I explored my faith and as I explored Christianity, as I got to know Jesus, as I got to know the traditions of of, of of faith of, of walking with the lord so i hope i hope that's helpful yeah
1: no and and what i would like to understand is because the question you know the first question is what you know what makes you get out of bed so you know basically it's a question about what makes you tick what is your purpose right and and uh, so i i felt and i heard that a faith for all three is, is kind of important uh a driver within that so i what I'm looking for here is how did that come about and what I understand from you is that you know a couple of years ago five six years ago um, you decided to convert that. Is that correct yeah yes and I so how did was- how did your family react to that
2: oh that was interesting my mom was not happy um it caused a lot of tension it caused like a really bad rift in our relationship the first year that I was a Christian and um I decided to go to a Christian university um after graduating high school Mm -hmm. and my mom was actually pretty accepting of that I think she began to like understand like my autonomy as an adult um but what's been interesting is that we've had a lot of conversations about faith and those haven't been the most productive but what has been the most productive has actually been how my faith has changed just my actions and the way that I've talked to my mom and how I've I, yeah how I've just begun to like Understand that even though she's not a Christian, that doesn't mean that can cause condemnation on her because, like, we're not supposed to cause condemnation on non believers. But, like, my mom one time she came up to me, it was like probably two, three years in of like being a Christian. And my mom was like, I can tell that, like, you have a faith and that you believe in Jesus because the way you talk to me, the way you act towards me, your tone of voice toward me, like, it's completely different. And I think that's so, I, I think that. That's what I think any Christian believer wants is that they see Jesus in us, in our actions and the way we interact with them. And I even think that's just how a lot of people knew the distinctions of early believers um, within like the first 300 years of the early church is that people knew who Christians were based on the actions and the lives that they led, not by what they said. Um, So I think for me that's just kind of like how it's Mm -hmm. developed over time in terms of my family's response to me being a believer
1: okay thank you thank you uh, yeah Uh, josh is that something that resonates with you if you hear bridget talking like that
3: oh yeah um my story is very different because my dad he was a pastor in the pca Mm -hmm. so his prayer was always there never be a day where i didn't know love and serve the lord and so for me, it's been, I also went to a, a Christian liberal arts college. So as I've grown older, it's just been a process of more, um, maturing in my faith and like kind of, you know, aligning, uh, words and actions. Cause I think oftentimes, you know, that, that, that I think, you know, it, we all have different journeys there. And I mm-hmm. think suddenly having other believers that keep you in check is very helpful for those moments when you don't always live out your faith that well, and you need others to come, come alongside you to, spur you on so but yeah, yeah yeah
1: and and what i would like to to hear from you is you know you, your your dad was a uh, a pastor um so do you feel that you are walking in his footsteps or are you you know creating your own path and and you know the way you experience all of this
3: yeah i mean definitely there's a yeah there, there's a good degree where I am uh, following his um, path a lot. And there's a big part of me that wants to, I mean, he, I, I have a lot of respect for my dad. Um, he's been very good to me. And uh, there's also this point at which like you're, I don't necessarily want to say that your faith necessarily becomes your own, but you start to more have to internalize and wrestle with questions that for a long time maybe you haven't and, and so I've leaned on him a lot more but also other people like when I went off to college you know dad's not always around so there's other people that then you connect with and be mentored by um, but I've never too much had a fixation of necessarily trying to forge my own path I'd rather just walk on a good path <laughs> and you know sometimes that's one that other people have Before, but also in some way i guess you are kind of you're you're living a life like all of us that that's very unique to each of us which comes with its own you know unique uh, particularities so certainly it's a a bit of both i would say
1: okay great thanks josh jonathan what about you
0: yeah um i was um kind of similar to josh i was also raised in the church i was born into a church um, I mean, my dad is not a pastor, but um, my mom faithfully served in the church from as long ago as I can remember. Um, and so me and my siblings were brought up being taught to serve in the church as well. Um, I was serving in a nursery as soon as I was, like got into sixth grade. Um, my church at the time was also very focused on uh, outreach and missions at the time, both local and international. So um, I was exposed to a lot of that at a young age. We were doing um, homeless ministries and uh, rehab ministries. And so, yeah, I guess even kind of going back to your original question, I think that that's kind of maybe even where I also learned like the gifts that were given are not even our own necessarily, but but they're meant to be used to serve the kingdom um so yeah
3: um
1: i i don't know if i heard it uh, well but the the three of you you came of from different universities before this right colleges um so i have a question about that and and um about the community and your fellow students at at uh, those universities um you know if you look at them or you think back uh, what what makes or what made them tick josh you want to start
3: sure um it's a good question because i'd say it's a it's a lot of different things i went to a smaller school so we had about 2500 you know, undergrads at a given time, and you see a lot of different majors, a lot of different, you know, con- concerns that people have either politically um, or within the church or otherwise, passion for their fields. Um, there was this kind of because it was a Christian school, I mean, across the whole, there was, like you'd expect, more of a commitment to wanting to find ways to. Serve God's kingdoms. People would go on ICO trips to different cities, and you know, just a myriad of different ministries. Um, but it, it really depends on the person. I mean, I know people that were super involved in politics, others that loved science, and it really was quite encouraging to see all these type of believers that all have very different and unique interests that suit their callings and um, the careers that they're stepping forward, which I thought was always cool because it's not just, you know, we have a lot of things that were pretty similar to us, but also some beautiful differences that were like, wow, you're really good at science and I'm not that great at it. So (laughs) thank goodness, you know, we have uh, people who are skilled at different things. So I would say, man, it, it depended on the person for sure. And I think like kind of you'd expect from like, because at the same time it's school and lots of people are trying to think about next steps, careers. Hmm. So like anywhere else, you do see that, you know, reflected in the student body. Okay, uh, Jonathan?
0: Yeah, Um. I also went to a small small school, a uh, small Christian liberal arts school. Um, not quite as big as Josh's. Uh, we had about undergrad classes, uh, about a thousand at a time. Um, so a lot, a lot smaller and uh, yeah, because of that, I think, I mean we all we also had a, a fair a fairly large diversity of, of interests. Um but I think at the core I mean, I, I attended Covenant College, um and they had a very big um it was like a staple of of their curriculum, uh, for us to really focus on vocation and what it looked like to tie our faith into vocation. Um we used the word calling a lot. Um and I think that that really, uh, it, as, I don't know how intentional it was, but it very much um, seeped into every field of study at the school. So yeah, similar to Josh, like whether, like, I mean, we had people interested in politics and people interested in science and then people interested in the arts and the humanities and social sciences and advocacy and all, all you know, the whole spectrum but, um, th- like despite that that range, at the core of it all was,, uh, at the end of the day, this 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 desire to be honest and authentic in light of scripture, um, and what it looks like to be an expert in your field and also be an expert in God's word. Um, and so, no matter what your calling was. It's always, it's always your, your primary calling to, you know, continue to be a light for God's kingdom. Um, And I think that that was a big, I mean, that was at the end of the day, you know, it's it's supposed to be inspirational and, you know, we are actively being called by the Lord. Um, And so, yeah, it's, I think that, that at least in my circles, I think that that desire for authenticity um, and, a, and a Christ-centered authenticity and love of truth was always was always at the forefront of every every field.
5: Thanks, Jonathan and Bridget. What about your uh, school? Yeah, a lot of my
2: friends um, had all different interests, but I think the one thing that like our university really focused on was like on spiritual formation and like practices. And um, there was like a lot of conversation on like the rule of life by Saint Benedict. And so like talking through, what does it mean to have like a rule of life? What are the practices that we need in place? Because those are really foundational and like, like a pillar of like our community. And there's also, like, a really huge emphasis on trying to figure out or, like, trying to understand what does God's voice sound like in your life? Like, how how do you know um, wh- what's the voice of Satan versus what's the voice of God? Um, and, like, we would just, like, probe with questions and in prayer about that. And so that was a really huge um, emphasis. Like, I, I remember, like, being really formational for me and a lot of my friends was, like, specifically our spiritual formation office and just like really emphasize the spiritual practices and um what does it look like to live with god daily in the ordinary and not in like, these big christian moments because a lot of the times like a lot of my freshmen that i work with going in they only really encountered encountered god um what they saw is like at camps um and so i think even josh was saying like at the beginning of how how do we see god in the ordinary and how how do we stay faithful in the ordinary so i remember that being super important to me like in college
1: before we go to the next topic what i want to know is is um i'd like to ask you yeah i've been talking with a lot of folks the last two years about a wide range of of topics but one is about religion and spirituality in the younger generation and you know I mean the trends um especially in western countries are that you know the younger generation is less inclined to go to church and that doesn't mean that they you know are maybe less spiritual or 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 less religious um yeah what 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 are you seeing in your community you know are you know, your fellow students going less to church? Is that changing, you know, when they start going, when they leave the the home and, and they start living on by themselves in colleges and universities? And
5: what do you see?
0: Um, I, I definitely, I mean, I really love this conversation because I, I appreciate the way that you kind of distinguish between spiritual versus religious. Because I do think that especially in our generation, there is this uh, longing, I think, in a sense, for everyone to be passionate about something and and everyone to and, and it ends up taking the form of, of spirituality in one sense or another, whether that person is Christian or whether they even subscribe to a, a particular religion at all, you know, there is this this uh, this longing for how can I, Um, for lack of a better phrase achieve enlightenment really Um, and you know I think that that comes from this I think that there is this continuing um, this this gradual increase in desire to be individual I mean individuality is huge among I think our generation especially Um, and I think that a really unfortunate byproduct of that is that less people in my generation are attending church, um, because they tend to put a precedent on the fact that they can be the most spiritual by doing all of the work on their own, um, and not leaning on a community of others, um, and I, I think that that's really, that's really sad to see, even for my friends, so, so, For instance, even uh, the search for a church, that that process, I think that a lot of times what what people fall into the trap of, which I've seen even friends of mine fall into this trap, is that they continue to visit all these different churches and then fail to find the perfect church, quote unquote, for them. And that's because they're the only church that is so individualized for them is you know staying at home and reading what they want to read and listening to what they want to listen to and that i just i don't think that that's necessarily how the church is is supposed to be that's not how churches or any place of worship um is is designed it's designed to be collective and and have this emphasis on community um and so i think that 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 big issue of of people attending church less I think that a lot of it stems from that individuality, uh, that obsession with, with individuality.
5: Richard, Josh, do you, you know,
1: resonate with what, what uh, Johnson just said, or do you have
5: yeah, another opinion?
2: I 100% resonate um i i mean i'm like a year out post grad in 2022 and so i actually worked at a church this last year and my roommate um didn't attend a church that i went to but like she went to a different church and um and even just my friends like post-grad too we had a lot of conversations about church and there just was always this conversation about the frustration with the church the church isn't doing this it's not doing that it's not addressing this issue or this issue. The pastor is not talking about this, like at the pulpit. And again, it's like cherry picking the church, and that's not what the church like. The church isn't meant to meet the preferences of every single individual. That's not what the church is for. Um, the church is a gathering of the body of believers to worship Jesus and to hear the and to hear the word of God. And sometimes, like. There's always there's going to be something that you're not going to like at church, but the point of church is the gathering of believers for the encouragement of the body of Christ. And one of the lessons that I learned working at the church that I was at was that, um like, I was like a resident pastor. and so, like in that role, I had a I went through some very frustrating moments, and, I was reflecting on I've been reflecting on this, I think, for the last like six months, like out of the position Mm -hmm. that like the Lord didn't call me to be like this specific pastoral role. He called me to love the church, despite all of the frustrations that I went through and despite everything that I did, because that's that's what we're called to do, not just as pastors, like pastoral leadership, but as the body of believers is that regardless of any tension regardless of any sort of discourse or conflict that we have we're called to love the church why because Jesus loves the church and that's what Jesus is coming back for is not it is is yes to restore the world but to restore his bride which is the church and so that's something that like I've had to kind of like shift the focus on and bring clarity to to like a lot of my friends is that Like this is a human institution by and large. And of course, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to fit your preferences. But what what is the greater narrative that's at work here? And so it's kind of like this paradigm shift of like, I'm not going to like, like, yes, like maybe find a church that's going to suit you best. But like, you need to stay faithful and be part of it in order to like really understand like the benefit and yeah, just not the, the benefit and the ultimate goal that it's a gathering and it's supposed to support the mission of Jesus. That's just what I
5: think as like, we're having this conversation.
3: Yeah. What I see in some people I know is that, um, those people that have stopped attending church is that they don't think it's intellectually credible. So they have like, well, you know, God doesn't exist. It was, that was more of a primitive belief that people have had. And we've surpassed that now. Um, because now we're smart and we have science so there's that um to a much more sympathetic though i think some people have been wounded by the church uh just people within it because the church is full of sinners and we don't get things perfectly and i think sometimes that when you forget why you're going there and you run into those problems that people who are genuinely hurt they don't really have like an inclination to want to go back there and so i can really sympathize with all of that sometimes um And then third, I think there's also just um, yeah, there's this kind of sense of like you know you know commitment too. It's like you know it's like it. At least in college, I remember even first getting there, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to like I'm not just going with my parents now. I'm the one who's gonna have to find a church and start going to it. So I think you combine a lot of those three things and kind of the culture people are swimming in, and I think it takes like someone you know often or. You know, to kind of really to want to get back in, um, you know, to start hearing the word of God again from the pulpit when you've either had bad experiences or intellectually you just can't, you know, find it to kind of fit in with your reason. And so you think, well, that's good for those people, but it doesn't really work, you know, for me. And uh, so I think when once you start to talk with people, those things come out, and that's I think at least sometimes what I see three biggest reasons, or it's becoming more of a minority of. You know youthful churchgoers
1: great thanks to to all of you for that um I would like to to jump into you know the the topic the subject that you chose to study um Yeah. Why did you study what you were uh, studying? How did that happen?
3: Sure. Um, I really wanted to be an English major. One, because I really wanted to be a novelist. And that slowly over time throughout my childhood became more apparent. In second grade, I really wanted to be a storyteller. My second grade teacher, she assigned me this um, project to write, like this one page story of our summers and I had recently saw this movie about like this water horse and I was like no I want to write my own story so instead of doing that I turned in this like little like few page like story about me going on this adventure around the ocean and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world so I was like, I just want to keep doing this um, and so over time that kind of like desire matured into more of a love for books and reading and then eventually trying to write my own novel so I thought, hey the best way to learn more about writing would be to study the great books um, but in terms of a job that, you know, typically you can do that pays the bills, that also be like, you know, teaching would be great, too, getting to teach literature. So I think it has a lot of value uh, in it as both like a form of recreation and an academic discipline. I think fiction is one of those few um, subjects where you get philosophy, art and history all in one, uh, because all literature is bound by its time to some extent. But you're also getting an artist, uh, a writer's like artistic um, You know, conveying of language and all these other their on their views on some of life's biggest questions put into a story and narratives hold a lot of weight on on people. So I think they're a great way to to teach like lifelong truths. So that's one of the reasons I to study English and hope to continue doing that at some
5: point. So. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Josh. richard
2: Yeah, my degree was in community development. And it was under like our theology department, which is interesting because usually developmental studies is under social sciences, but I really appreciated it because we took more of like a holistic approach um, to our like course of study. Um, Again, I think just like that value of community and like having meaningful connection with community has always been really important to me, like just throughout the narrative of my life. and what I really appreciated about my program is that there was an aspect of both, like, I have one foot in the nonprofit world and one foot in, like, the Christian ministry world, and I loved both. Um, And what I also loved was that we weren't just, like, learning a lot of the concepts in class. We had, like, a lot of, like, practical um, applications, like, in our community. And so, for example, one of the ministries that, like, we would help with one of our classes was this rehabilitation house for people who were in incarceration and it was really interesting because you got to see like people being restored to like actual jobs and like had like uh, developing skill sets and being restored to families and um, men and women who were divorced were like getting remarried and just like seeing the restoration of family and um, I really loved I really loved how community development was really part of that because um, it took what was seen as kind of like, oh, like these people are lost, like they're kind of this low asset to the community, but it provided them like some sort of opportunity and actually step in the world where they could actually benefit and give back to the community. Um, and so just like seeing that work and just seeing how like you could restore human dignity to like a person um was really, really valuable to me. and um yeah, that's why I continued in the major and why I chose it.
5: thanks
0: yeah, i um I had a little bit of an of an interesting journey with with choosing sociology. I initially wanted to come in studying art and philosophy, hmm. very different. Um, and I was uh I was interning at an organization that was you know actually kind of combining those two things um and I was working primarily in the arts with um teenagers mostly um and I just uh I had a I had a wonderful experience working with that program but um I ended up through that realizing that I had so much more of an interest in the actual um I guess, well-being of my students um, and you know, wanting to fix their so, social-emotional issues and um, just investing in them as, as people and giving them the attention that they may or may not have been receiving in other areas of their lives. Um, and some of my favorite parts of that job were even just like sitting and listening to them just tell their stories. Um, and so kind of through that, I realized that I was... Um, I was starting to become more and more interested in, you know, maybe what would it look like for me to go into school counseling or something like that um, or in a field similar um, or advocacy as a whole really kind of stood out to me. Um, that was one of my favorite parts of my job was was advocating on behalf of, of these, these students that couldn't quite do it themselves. Um, I had a huge heart for uh, sometimes the the power struggles that that's at play with um teenagers and um you know teachers or school administrators or just people that are older than them in general. Um, I've I've seen instances firsthand where you know just because they're they're under the age of eighteen, they're treated like you know they're ten, even if they're seventeen. Um, and it can be it can be really upsetting, and they are just don't always have the the tools that they need to to handle that and and process that in a in a healthy way and a constructive way, which just ends up causing them to get into more trouble. And it, yeah, it's just a really vicious cycle, unfortunately. Um, and so because of that, I, I ended up um, pursuing sociology um, to just kind of look into what what might it look like to to study people as a whole, to study patterns and. To use that hopefully to to help people. Um, I'm so interested in social theory and you know reading a lot of theorists' takes on you know why do people do this or why might a person say this um, and uh, where what does inequality have to do with with all of these different dynamics and and so many different social spheres. Um, and so yeah that that's kind of that's kind of how I got there and. Um, Yeah, I really loved it. One of my favorite parts of sociology was just kind of how broad it was. So you could, you know, study sociology of anything. Um, My senior year, I I took a special interest in studying sociology of art, you know, how does art um, inform us when it comes to relating to people who are different than us? And um, even how does, how is art kind of a a means of, of justice, in a sense? Um it can be really interesting. so yeah, that's kind of how I got there
1: yeah I, I told you in the beginning that that uh, we are going to to use this conversation to make an episode uh, for the podcast walk talk listen. and that podcast is a spin-off of a hundred mile walk that I started in 2012 um and, 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 you know, I, I walked, uh, yeah, I tried to raise awareness and raise funds to end hunger, poverty and injustice. And then because of COVID, I was not able to walk with others. So I had to walk alone. So then I thought, OK, you know, maybe I can virtually walk. And that's how this podcast started. Um, my question to you is, if if you would be asked to walk 100 miles in a week, uh, so, if, you know, within five to seven days so 15 to 20 miles a day for which course would you walk and why
2: um i would say an organization i would say teach for the philippines they're this really amazing nonprofit that provides educational like resources to different barangays so like smaller towns throughout the philippines and it's really similar to Teach for America, where like they'll train you to be a teacher and then you go in the inner cities, but like they train you to like teach in the Philippines. And um, it's it, it was started by this woman who like did um, who did teach for America, and like she saw like the model of it and then brought it to the Philippines. And it, it's just really encouraging to see like um how how kids in poverty, can get a like up in education because that's so much of like my background mm-hmm. and story. Like where my my mom like she grew up in poverty in the Philippines and mm-hmm. education was her to get out um, to get out of the Philippines to provide opportunity for her family and for my sister and for myself. And um, I I've always thought like I've always I've always thought about like going to the Philippines to like teach mm-hmm. and like to be part of it. Um, but Again, I'm I'm not 100% sure what I'm I'm going to do next after like these nine months, um, but I yeah I think like if I were to walk 100 miles for a cause, it would 100% be that cause just because I support so much of their mission and like the work that they do there.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the first one that comes to mind is Generate Hope. Uh, they're an organization that my mom's been involved with for a while. That kind of they have a lot of these rehabilitation homes for people who have been sex trafficked and it's one of those things that just producing like a lot of good like they have these homes where they're able to bring in these women and they provide education for them as well as like counseling and rehabilitation so it's a really beautiful ministry kind of like that's helping these women get back like to you know like just just normal lives again after mm-hmm. these really tragic past and so that's just the first thing that comes to mind and mm-hmm. meeting all of those people and being with them it's, it's pretty life-changing so i would say yeah
1: that. so to you no know, th- thanks josh for you and and bridges have you been involved with those um organizations or any other justice or humanitarian work organization
3: uh i guess explicitly i've never had that much of it's more just been a very loose involvement just with mm-hmm. my mom's Okay. A few times where we've been around, like these women are gone over to the house. I've gone with her more a few times when I was when I was back in California a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But more it's been her because she's one of the board members there, so I hear a lot about it through her. But...
2: Okay. Um, I do not have any direct involvement like with Teach for the Philippines. But I did, like, do, like, smaller campaigns throughout mm-hmm. middle school and high school, like, raising funds to, like, send school supplies to, like, Nepal, like, to help, like, mm-hmm. kids who needed, like, education like, supplies, like. But, um, yeah, in terms of, like, direct involvement, like, post-high school, college, not really, just because, like, I was in school for a lot mm-hmm. of it. And it was just, it was just difficult because, like, Teach for the Philippines, like, you have to have, like, undergraduate degree to participate Hmm. so not like in terms of participation but like yeah there have been like some other humanitarian work that like i have had some involvement in okay
5: jonathan
0: yeah i i can't think of one specifically off the top of my head like a, a named organization but i i think that i would see myself walking for um, any cause that would, um, I think really, um, I don't know, I think kind of fight for the equality of education um, for, I mean, really any marginalized people group, but I think especially, I think especially younger people. um, I just, I did a study on on refugees and immigrants when I was in school and um, that was just something that like really stood out to me that a lot of people don't talk about how um, a lot of times the children of immigrants and refugees especially from the Middle East coming to the United States often get pushed to the side or are kind of an afterthought when it comes to um, education and they're really just left behind Um, and people don't really pay much mind to that um, or to the fact that they are still growing human beings um, just as much as any other human being who has lived here in the United States and has participated in the education system, you know, since they were born into it. Um, and yeah, that's, I think that's something that I, yeah, it's something that it's, it bothers me and it's something that I, that I would feel passionate enough to walk for.
1: You know, one of the questions that I ask in my podcast is to my guests is, you know, what worries you
5: uh,
1: at the moment? And, you know, a lot of things come up. Um, and then another question that I have is, uh, but where do you see hope? And actually, the majority of my guests, when I ask them that question, where do you see hope? They say, in the younger generation, in the youth, and you
5: guys. Oh, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I think um I've had some like, conversations about this. Um there's this research institute that I'm part of. Um, and we like we talk about this question all the time of how like older generations are saying that like they see a lot of hope in Gen Z and like the generations after us. And one of the things that like I go back to as like I think of this question is like how willing Gen Z is to, like, ask questions and to ask for help, which is really encouraging because, like, we're not afraid to just, like, ask the questions or to just, like, need people, like, to be dependent on other people, and I think, like, 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 talking about that, like, feeds into, like, my, like, my desire for, like, meaningful connection and community because, like, in order to have, like, connection, you need to ask those questions, you need to rely on other people, and so I, that's what I see as hopeful, is that I think younger generations are seeing their need for others, and I think that's what makes the difference.
0: Yeah, I think that I would echo what, what Bridget said. Um I even, I had a conversation with someone fairly recently, actually, about, about this, um, a relative of mine, and he was, just talking about how bleak the world is right now and how it seems to just be continuing to grow bleaker and bleaker. And, you know, talking about all of these, these issues, um, that, that just very much, uh, emphasize hopelessness, um, for the future. And, um, I remember one of the questions that he asked me was, um, or one of the statements that he made was just he said, Yeah, I'm thankful that I had kids when I did and raised them because I can't imagine raising um children in today's culture and 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 raising them up to such a hopeless life. And he asked me, you know, how do you feel about that? And um I just told him that I think um even even though there is a lot of this this bleak sense my generation doesn't, I think, consistently doesn't just concede and give up. Um, and I think that's because exactly what Bridget was saying, you know, that willingness to lean on other people, not just each other, you know, inside our own generation, but but intergenerationally. I think even being able to recognize the wisdom of older people, and then, you know, I mean, I think that it's, it's normal for Um, anyone in any generation to say oh this younger generation they're changing things and not listening to us but I do feel like a lot of people in my generation are very willing to listen to older people's ideas um, because there is a lot of I mean even just like looking at the ways that older generations have handled um, civil rights movements in years past and ways that my generation is Looking at handling specific aspects of civil rights now, um, I think that it can be, I think that it can be very inspiring to look back at ways that that past generations have have handled civil rights, and I think that a lot of my generation sees that and is willing to kind of collaborate and and take ideas from the past and then expound upon them now. Um, I think that a a bonus of our generation is the fact that we are living in a very fast paced um kind of communications era. um so it's very it's like information is just so, so accessible, and like almost scarily so. And um I think that that can be abused, but I really have seen like my generation wanting to use that in a way that is um, getting minority voices heard, and um yeah, just just use that in a way that that's helping people and not not harming them. I mean, there are you know there's always going to be examples of 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 technology being used to harm people, um, and there always will be kind of a a sense of of hopelessness. But I do feel like there are a lot of areas that that we can find hope, in, especially especially in my generation's willingness to just kind of put ourselves forward and put ourselves out there, even if that means you know, potentially humiliating ourselves. I think that it's at the expense of, um, or, or we are we are willing to humiliate ourselves if it means we're we're helping someone potentially. There's always that chance, and I think that that's really cool.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I I do kind of. I mean, I do see positive things in our generation. I also see things that I'm like, um, like a bit of both because I think every no generation's perfect. Um. I think I see a lot of people my age, like, very overwhelmed by all of the world's problems and, you know, thinking that they have to, like, solve all of them. And that's just not realistic, I think. I think one thing I think that our um, people of our generation could do is to kind of um, recognize their own, like, spheres of influence. Like, for example, I just see people worried about things that... You really don't have that much of an impact over. And I think it can lead to paralysis of, well, what do I do? Do I either become very jaded and cynical in where the world is going, or do I try to get involved in everything? And burn out. And I think there is a balance that has to be had there because um there is only so much you can do as one person. And yet we're often been told that you can, you know, change the world, do whatever. And there is some it's not like I don't want to put a ceiling on anyone, but I do want to think, yeah, at a certain point you have to think realistically about um what what you're able to do. So I, I have hope, reasonable hope, I guess. It's not like that I think our generations like, you know, overtly good or bad, I just think it's going to take... I don't, know. I don't know. It's not that I'm pinning all my hopes on it, if that makes sense. I think one of the things our generation is, I think, susceptible to is throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little bit when it comes to certain traditions, certain um, things that, like, overreactions um, to certain things. that I think are going to require more nuance, which is hard, but it's part of the reason why we have all those conversations all the time. So, that helps. But... When I listen to you, I, I
1: you know hear a couple of words and, and I see a couple of things. Uh, I heard you say, Jonathan, you know, intergenerational. Uh, you know, there is a willingness in our generation, you know, to continue listening to the older generation. I I really think if that's happening, it's a good thing. I think, uh, you know, um, if if we would all. Uh, become a little bit better listeners i think this world would be a better place um also the realization that we are connected that we are in this together i think could could uh, help this world forward um i always say you know i i think during covid uh the whole world realized that we are all interconnected at least for two weeks and and you know and then at the moment um uh, some of us had access to vaccines and then we went back to our own little world. Um, but I have a question about that interconnectedness or connection. And, um, you know, if if you think in, in, in these abstract terms into, you know, how you are connected with other communities or with other people, other parts of the world, etc. Um, yeah, could you come up with some positive connections and some negative connections?
5: can keep it close to you know where you're working as well. That's
1: that's all good.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean even I mean I think that there are positive I I mean I can even think of examples of of both kind of positive and negative interconnectedness in, in the same you know same connection. Um but yeah I think that even just for for people who are, you know, my age, who are in my generation, to form connections in the workplace. So for instance, at the CCC where Bridget, Josh and I work, like we have people from all different walks of life and all different ages here working for, for the same cause. And I think that that's really a really beautiful thing, uh, especially in the ways that we are kind of able to to learn. From uh to learn from the the older folks who have been working here longer, um. But I also think that that kind of like that workplace relationship uh, of interconnectedness can even kind of be seen, like like I think that that's the re- reflection of the church, um, and what the church is supposed to be. I always think about like interconnectedness and collaboration, um, being just such an important calling of the church um for for christians as a whole in the church i think being able to attend church with people from so many different walks of life and people with so many different skills like that is how the kingdom of god is meant to be you know we we always say you know the body of christ and that is a helpful example because you know the body has so many different parts that that make it, you know, and we know as human beings who have bodies that when one part of our body is not working as it should, you know, we don't feel right and we're not able to perform as well. And I think that, that that's exactly how the church is, you know, and so it should call, it should be a call for us, no matter how old we are, no matter what generation we're in, no matter what walk of life we're in, to rally together and lift up whichever part of the body is is not doing as well um I think that there are definitely negative aspects to that though however um which is you know there is also that that fear of not changing um so I I think Josh made a really good point about throwing the baby out with the bath water which I've also seen like that is yeah that's a really a really bad thing that that I think happens Far too frequently um but i think that there's also this there is also the case where people are so set in their ways that they don't learn from their mistakes um and that can be harmful intergenerationally you know um so for instance if someone in i'll just keep going with the church example you know if someone in the church is doing something teaching something that is harmful Um, or or continuing with a practice in the church that maybe is not necessarily based in scripture, but the hope is that it accomplishes something that is is rooted in scripture, Um, but it's harming people. I think that there is, um, we are also called as Christians to recognize, recognize our mistakes and learn from them and then continue to move forward in a better or different way. Um, And so, you know, in that kind of intergenerational interconnectedness, there is there is the possibility that that doesn't happen and kind of looping it back to kind of the beginning of our discussion. I think that that is a lot of times where I have seen personally people get wounded in the church is when people are not willing to see the ways that things that they are doing that may or may not be rooted in tradition um, is actually a harmful thing and is and is harming people um, and actually kind of coming between them and christ and not drawing them in um closer to him
3: yeah i think one of the things um specifically within the church that happens is um there's a book by jamar tisby called the color compromise and it deals with the church is just you know different american churches and they're like certain ones that didn't have great responses um to lots of civil rights movements and i think culturally that's kind of According to this idea, within certain sects, you can't speak for everyone. this, But that you yeah, know, okay. Well, Christians got this wrong. Christians are judgmental or like this, and it's it's hard to see things on a case by case, you know, personal value. But other other ways too. I think uh, certain um, traditions. I mean, Americans were having like a deep reckoning with history, and even just like within American history. I mean within different humanity circles, there's always like, okay, well, who should we be reading in literature classes who goes in the canon? Um, specifically more within history, like revisionistic history. It's like, how do you teach like history? Well, how do you cover things that were really bad that you have to teach without offending certain people? How do you have an accurate view of history, but also trying to, you know, like, like shield people that don't, that have to deal with hard things. So, It's not an easy thing to answer, I think, but sometimes there's this impulse. I think, especially with younger people, to want to like redo things, like we'll get we'll get it right, or kind of I don't know. It's hard because they're. I think I think race is the biggest example there, at least with certain churches. Where I mean, some people's responses have caused people to walk away, whereas sometimes it could just be a bad experience.
1: Yeah, so so we're slowly coming to the end. But I, I, I still have a couple of quick questions. Um, You know, I hope you understand. You know what type of organization we both work for. You know, it's an it's an NGO, a non not for profit organization that works on, uh, you know, on refugee and immigration related issues, hunger, poverty, um, around the world. but also within the U S and you know, we existed for quite a long time right after the second world war. Um, But organizations like ours are are struggling in terms of, you know, how do we connect or reconnect uh, with the younger generation? And then I think what complicates it for, for a lot of faith-based organizations is that, yeah, I mean, you know, in the old days, they would find the younger generation still in the churches, but they are, not there um yeah do you have any advice for organizations like ours on how to connect or reconnect with uh with the younger generation
4: i'd like to take that question even one step further and thinking about yes reconnecting but also how can we give agency to youth to be more active um themselves And I guess that kind of goes hand in hand with reconnecting, but um, yeah, I I am also looking at how can we, how can we better service people? How can we better service youth to give them what they need to either want to reconnect with us (laughs) um, or to just, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll uh, leave
5: that there. Yeah. Yeah a good question.
2: I, the one thing that comes to mind for me is, again, I'm just going to refer back to this research institute that, like, it's Springtime Research Institute, really amazing nonprofit, based out of Baltimore and Minnesota. Um, One of the things that they do, like, with us as, like, ambassadors, like, with the program is that we, they give us, like, a 15-minute, like, prompt each month, and it's just, like, asking us, like, questions of um, like whatever the specific topic is like for the year. So their specific topic this year is on sacred spaces and um, meaningful connection and like, well, actually not, well, connection, meaningful connection, but like more in the sense of belonging, sacred spaces and belonging. And I think what's been really great is that like, it's like a 15 minute assignment that we do that we just email to them. And it's a great way to like stay engaged with what they're doing but then it also gives them feedback on like, what are the resources that we can bring for younger generations? Because like the ambassador group is students between the ages of 13 to 25. And so it's like a pretty good chunk of like development, like that you have of like different voices. And so I feel like that system has been super helpful in terms of like, we're providing them feedback, but then they're also providing us resources because like they follow up the next month with like something to follow up from like their previous question. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, yeah. I hope that helps, but yeah, that's just an example that like I see that like, that I'm doing right now that has been like really engaging for me.
0: Yeah, I don't know. This is a, this is actually a fairly difficult question for me to answer, I think. Um, but. And I don't know how helpful my answer will be either, but it's something that at least really, um, I think is always just a good, a good philosophy for, for NGOs drawing in young people is, um, I think that the best way to find young people is just being very forthright and honest about your mission, um, because I think that I've, I mean I've seen organizations try to be something that they're not so that they can get the type of person that they're looking for but what happens then is that they get you know people who they get young people who think they're signing up for something completely different and then and then they don't stay or they are not putting in the type of effort that they should be um you know not necessarily I don't know if I would use the word lied to if that if that might be too strong but but because they they were expecting a different mission and i think that it might be unfortunate that i mean it is unfortunate that my generation is having uh less and less interest in in organizations like ours but just because there's less doesn't mean that there's none at all and i think that those few are very interested in you know in, in this type of work and they want to find organizations that do align with with this mission that is dying out and i think that i mean even in my experience when you're when you are the quieter voice i think that it can be disheartening at times but i think that it also can be really i mean it can be also really empowering um to to kind of drive you to yes I might be the quieter voice I might be the smaller part of the population but what can I do what resources can I can I pull to get my voice heard and to get the voice heard of others who are in this smaller demographic um and so yeah I think I think authenticity um first and foremost when it comes to to organizations presenting themselves is is something that that's really attractive
5: Thanks, Johnson. Josh, anything to add?
3: Yeah, just briefly I'd add that I think if younger people, if they feel like they're, I mean, with within reason, there's always a learning curve to these things, but if they genuinely feel like, oh, I have something to offer here or there's like unique input that I can have, that goes a long way if they feel seen that way. And so I think extending that to them, clearly that invitation, like, hey, we want you here. And we think that you know, there's a lot that you can help us with i think young people are kind of yearning to have that kind of like impact or to feel like what they're doing matters and so you kind know, of communicating that to them i think is really helpful at least in, you know if starting a new job here it always helps to kind of have that from you know people that you look up to and you're you know working with so i would say that, that would hold true for them as well
1: thanks josh uh, Bridget, i mean uh, piggybacking what you said in terms of, you know, the organization that asks you to uh, send an email, you know, uh, that you give inputs to to a discussion. Um, I've also heard that, you know, folks um, within, you know, NGOs like, like mine, like ours, have said, you know, what about setting up a youth advisory council that you will ask four to six times a year to be in a conversation like we are now, you know, for an hour or, or a half, you know, 30 minutes. Um, would you sign up for
2: that? 100%. That's literally what I'm doing with Springtide is, mm. like, like I recorded a podcast episode with them this summer. Like, so a conversation like this, like, that we're doing, like, we do that. And, like, we have, like, monthly meetings for, like, an hour and a half. And mm. we just go over, because it's research-based, because, like, we're looking at, like, yeah. religion identity and Gen Z. And then there's other subtopics that go with that, and so like, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, there, I really, I really appreciate the model because like it feels, I feel more engaged, and like mm-hmm. there's more of like this. Like, I think what John, uh, I'm not uh, Josh said. Sorry, I keep I always mix up the J's. Um, Josh was saying of like the youth want to be part of something like bigger than themselves, and to like have that sense of meaning and purpose that they're actually contributing to something like that's huge because like that feeds into like meaning and purpose and like each of us like wants that and like desires that and so like I feel like having a youth advisory council ambassador program whatever it is you want to call it I think it I think it one like supports your NGO or in your nonprofit, but then two it also provides like purpose for like that student that's part of it and then three keeps them engaged and then when they're engaged, they talk about it with their friends, they post about it on social media, so then, like, it's, like, this grassroots movement that, like, begins to form from that engagement.
1: Yeah, yeah, thanks for that, Bridget. I mean, another idea that that came up is, is, um, you know, why would we put, after after we have done, you know, four to eight of these roundtables, why would you put it in a questionnaire? Why don't you ask the people that you've spoken with to facilitate you know these type of discussions by themselves and then report back um so we have also discussed that um, particular possibility that's it thanks uh, uh, josh uh, jonathan anything to add to this no
5: jonathan uh, i
0: mean just i would agree with everything bridget said
1: hmm. okay um diana any any questions from your side
4: um, you know, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I think I, yeah, I, I really love what all of you guys were saying. I think you guys have given us some really good, interesting things to to think about, and I really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think I think I'm all good on my end.
1: Okay, then I would like to thank uh, you know, all of you for your willingness to talk with us, to share your opinion and and experiences. It was really great. I I enjoyed it, but thank you so much, and. and yeah. Good luck with everything you do.
3: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Barry. Yeah, thank you so much.
3: Okay. Take care.
2: Thanks, Diana. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. guys. Bye.
1: for listening to walk, talk, listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.